You know, before I get started here, I I just want to pray over the message and pray over this time. I say that because uh, the songs we sang this morning, the things that the kids are learning about this morning, the trials and the circumstances that we're walking through in our lives. I'm standing there and I'm crying, bawling out my eyes in worship. And I'm like, get it together, man. You got to come and deliver a sermon. But I think that it's something that the Lord is highlighting because so many of us are walking through so many difficult things in our lives. Something I'll actually be talking about in a message today. So, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for what you've done so far, Lord. We come with ears ready to hear what you have to say to us today, God. Lord, and I pray for those who are in the house, those who are tuned in online, those who will listen at a later date. God, the trials and the circumstances we're walking through, they're varied and they're crushing, each and every one of them, God. You're right there in the thick of it with us, God. You're right there walking with us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, as Leah said, God, we come ready to learn and hear from you today. In your name I pray. Amen. So my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here at LifeSpring. I get to co-lead with uh, Pastor Dan. And uh, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm looking forward to the the message today, especially after reading Colossians 1 this morning in our Bible reading plan. I'm continually encouraged by your comments, but also by Paul's faith and the letters he wrote to the churches. And before we jump into the message for today, I, I wanted to highlight a few of the many things that took place this week at LifeSpring, because You showed up in so many ways to serve and to fellowship with each other. Uh, On Thursday, I'll start there, we had our first community dinner at the Mountain View Community Center in over two years. And so many of you, again, showed up to serve shortly after 3 p.m. to meal prep, set up, and serve our community a hot meal. Many of you also stayed well beyond 8.30 p.m. to wash dishes and clean up after the meal. This was an outreach we also did with our Korean brothers and sisters from Hebron Church down in Fife. I want to say thank you so much for loving on our community in that way. Thank you so much for serving. I look forward to the next one, which we're already signed up for. That's going to be February next year. I know that seems very far away, but it's going to be here before you know it. Then on Saturday morning at 8 a.m., we had over 20 men gathered together to worship, eat some breakfast and fellowship with each other. My heart was so encouraged by the word that Pastor Dan shared, but also through the many conversations I had with so many of you and by seeing so many men together in the same space, fellowshipping with each author. Doug, thank you so much um, for opening up your home to us. Dave, thank you so much for cooking for us. Uh, We truly enjoyed it. And uh, uh, 
Sean Manley, some of you might know him. He's actually uh, provided many of the supplies we've been using for our community meal, the men's breakfast, and things like that. And so, Sean, I also want to say thank you. By the way, men, I'm already looking forward to the next one. And I'm just going to tell you, if you haven't been to one before, you should come to the next one. We're having a barbecue night on November 10th, and I believe that's going to be right here at the church. So you don't want to miss it. And then this morning, Brayden mentioned this earlier, and we prayed for them in our pre-service prayer time, but there's over 40 women this morning from Lifespring and other churches over in Bellevue participating in a weekend women's retreat. I've been hearing amazing things. Uh, My wife has been up there. Pastor Darvey has been sharing with them. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing all the testimonies of how the Lord has moved in their midst. That's a lot. All right? It's a lot. In one week, that's a lot to be doing in one week. I am so encouraged. By so many of you, you're doing such a great job of playing your part as the body of Christ. And I want to further encourage you and say that we have so many more events coming up over the next couple of months. I know this is a busy season and a busy time of the year, but uh, let me put it to you this way. Just choose one. Just choose one. Some of you might serve at two. Some of you might be at all of them. But just choose one and let's keep reaching our community. We have the um, Samaritan's purse in the back. There are boxes back there. Be sure to grab one before you leave. We have something that's coming up in November called Community of Cultures. That We'll be doing that. We have the trunk or treat at the end of this month. We have a choir. We're going to be having like a Christmas bazaar here at the church. We have a whole bunch of things coming up and we'll be giving you more information about that. And so just choose one. And by the way, I know Pastor Dan mentioned it, but the Mariners advanced to the League Division Series. I mean, if you're a Mariners fan, yesterday, I texted Pastor Dan and I told him, man, I'm new to all this stuff, but I was sweating there for a bit. I was so nervous, and they came back, and I was like, whoa, that was a great game. Well, all right, we'll keep it going here this morning by looking at Acts chapter 23. But before I do that, I think it's important that we do a quick recap of chapter 22 as it's going to give us some context for where we're going today. So in chapter 22, we read that Paul is being held as a prisoner by Roman authorities. He's in Jerusalem, and if you remember from last week, he was standing on the stairway between the outer court an Antonian fortress. And I think we have a picture of that here. Hopefully you can see that. And so you'll see some stairs in between those through uh, two major concrete pieces there. And Paul was standing on these steps, and this is where he came under attack by the crowd of Jews at the temple because they recognized him as the one who had been teaching to the Gentiles. The Romans rescued him, and as they were carrying him out of the outer court, he asked permission to address the crowd. So Paul makes this speech to the Jews in the temple, and they listened to him until verse 21, when he said the following. And he said to me, talking about the Lord, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, they listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a man from the earth. 
for he should not be allowed to live. See, to the Jewish listeners, it was blasphemy to hear Paul suggest that the Lord appeared to him and told him to go to the Gentiles. I mean, they couldn't even get the past of the thought of it. And to them, this was proof that Paul was a liar. And so they called for Paul to be put to death, and the riot resumes. The soldiers drag Paul away, and they're about to whip him when Paul asks the soldier, in this almost casual way, he's like, oh, by the way, just checking, is it illegal to whip a Roman citizen? And what happens? Well, Paul gets the intended result he was hoping for. The soldier pauses, goes to his commander with this new info, and the centurion comes over to confirm if Paul is indeed a Roman citizen. See, Paul knew that this new information would change everything, because as a Roman citizen, it now meant that they were going to protect him by all means necessary. See, Roman citizens enjoyed a degree of protection under the law, similar, if not greater, to the ones enjoyed by U.S. citizens today. Therefore, Paul could not receive any punishment as a Roman without due process, which meant trial and conviction in his case. So the centurion confirms that Paul is indeed a Roman citizen, as in that day, you'd typically carry your birth certificate with you everywhere you went, especially as a Roman, because it carried such weight. And it would have been the only way for Paul to prove that he was indeed a citizen of Rome. Think of this today as your U.S. passport or real ID. If you haven't gotten one as yet, you should get one. They're not paying me for that, by the way. I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> now, the commander is in an awkward position because, in some sense, they had already gone past the legal authority of which they should have gone. And he's the one that commanded for Paul to be placed in chains. But even further than that, he was just about to whip Paul. Essentially, Paul could have gotten him in trouble for doing so. But he also cannot just say, let's forget the whole thing and let Paul go. Because if the crowd were to kill Paul as a Roman citizen on his watch, you see where this is going. Him and his men would more than likely be looking at the death penalty themselves. So the commander devises another plan. And he decides to let the Jews manage this problem for themselves. And that... It's best to put Paul on trial with the Jewish council. Now, the council here would have been mostly Sadducees with a Pharisee minority. Think about it like political parties. The Sadducees are in power at this stage in history, and the Pharisees are the minority. And I can only tell you that because I only recently learned this about three weeks ago in my New Testament letters class. Sometimes I'm like, man, I just need school to be finished. I wanted to do a master's, but oh my gosh, it's too much. But I just learned it, so I'm able to tell you that today. So it's working out, all right? I'm almost finished. I walk next summer, so looking forward to that. And so with that, we'll turn to our text for today. In Acts 23, we'll see what the council does and how the meeting goes. And we'll see that Paul gets off to a bad start with the high priest. Let's read. Now, looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, 
I have lived my life with an entirely good conscience before God up to this day. But the high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, order me to be struck? But those present said, Are you insulting God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brothers, that he is high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So we see Paul's opening remarks about himself brings a swift rebuke from the high priest Ananias, as clearly he had a lot to answer to. And Paul was hit in the mouth as commanded by the high priest, and this clearly upsets Paul as he responds with, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Essentially what Paul was saying was that the high priest was only clean on the outside, which is similar to the term Jesus used to describe the Pharisees. So Paul rightly points out that when they struck him in the mouth in this way, that that was in violation of the law in and of itself. Therefore, the high priest was in fact the lawbreaker. I also want to note here, though, that Paul respects the correction of the high priest. As Paul acknowledges from Scripture that there is honor due to position regardless of the man who fills it. And scripture has commanded us to do likewise. In fact, Paul himself writes that in Romans when he writes that we are to respect the government authorities that we are under. So Paul is first to acknowledge, oh, my bad. You know what? You're right. The high priest did the wrong thing, but that doesn't mean I, should respond, I shouldn't respond to him with respect even when he does the wrong thing. And if you notice, it's never a matter of whether they are doing the right thing or not. That's not the task when it comes to respecting the government authorities. The task comes in the fact that the Lord is asking us to respect the position they're in and not what they do while they are in that position. And in that way, it's a test of our obedience to God's word not a test of our allegiance to whichever government authority is in place. Are we all right? So quiet in here. So quiet. Let's keep it going. So Paul acknowledges his mistake, and in his defense he says, I wasn't aware that this man was a high priest, and therefore I didn't intend to show any disrespect. Now, why would Paul say that? As typically, a high priest would be outfitted in garment unique to his office, and anyone would be able to identify him. One answer, at least, is if you remember, the Roman centurion kind of decided on all this at the last minute. And it's quite possible the council didn't have time to dress properly in their usual attire as a centurion would have likely called upon them in a matter of minutes. Let's keep reading verse 6. But Paul, perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, began crying out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. When he said this, 
a dissension occurred between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all, and a great uproar occurred. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and started arguing heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. I mean, can you believe this unfolding, you know, in the courtroom? They were just about, they're so upset with him a little while ago, and this has changed. Quite an imagery here. And I love it, actually, because as mentioned earlier, I learned recently about this passage of Scripture in a class. And what's happening here is that Paul has quite geniusly stirred some controversy within the council. Paul claims his affiliation with the Pharisees from his past days, and then he tells them that he's found himself in this position on trial because he preaches the hope of resurrection. And this is so clever because Paul says something that is essentially true. He's acknowledging that the hope of resurrection is ultimately what the gospel comes down to, but in using that phraseology, he knows that he's going to turn the Pharisee counselors against the Sadducees. And why does that happen? Let's put that into some context. The reason that happens is because the Sadducees do not accept certain realities of Scripture. As they were the equivalent of, and I use this phrase very cautiously, but they would have been considered a more liberal party in their day. And so the Sadducees, in many ways, were more removed from a strict following of the law. And they had a different theology as to what happens to the body after death. They also denied the reality of spirits like demons and angels, while the Pharisees, on the other hand, held to a stricter following of the law, which meant that the Pharisees and Sadducees were always at odds. Over these differences, it had been long-standing. Therefore, Paul knew that his comments, in a sense, would pour salt in that wound and stir them up. And so the Pharisees start siding with Paul and come to his defense. And they see him now as an ally. And they declare that Paul has done nothing wrong. And maybe, just maybe, all the things he's been preaching about were indeed delivered to him by an angel. Remember, the Sadducees were already the majority party in the council. And they were the ones who were upset with Paul. So in a sense, the things Paul had just said has given him some weight with the minority party in the council, being the Pharisees. And when you're the minority party, you seek the advantage at every turn, looking for anything to gain an upper hand on the stronger party. And by Paul appealing to them, he had an instant ally. Because in the eyes of the Pharisees, it was to their own benefit. Verse 10. And when a great dissension occurred, the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force. And bring him into the barracks. But on the following night... The Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, for as you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. 
When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and put themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. That's serious. They're not going to eat or drink. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have put ourselves under an oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. And as for us, we are ready to kill him before he comes near the place. So the Romans, once again, rescues Paul. And now, we see here something more serious unfolding, which could get the centurion in serious trouble. Remember, Paul is a Roman citizen, and if he's killed, in a sense, it's going to happen on their watch. Let's keep reading, verse 16. But the son of Paul's sister heard about their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to himself and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me over to him and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and, stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately, What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly of him. So do not listen to them, for more than 40 of them are in hiding to ambush him. And these men have put themselves under an oath not to eat or drink until they kill him. And now they are ready and waiting for assurance from you. Then the commander let the young man go, instructing him, Tell no one that you have notified me of these things. From these verses moving onward, verse 23 of Acts 23, Paul is moved to Caesarea. And so, verse 23, And he called to him two of the centurions and said, Get two hundred soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen. They were also to provide mounts, mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Look at that. There's no way Paul could have afforded this kind of escort. There's no way. But the Lord worked it out for him. Interesting note here, we learn that Paul has a sister living in Jerusalem. That sister had a son, and Paul's nephew is the one who warns the commander of this plot to kill Paul. How Paul's nephew learned of the plot, we're not told, but I found verse 19 to be very interesting. As it says, the commander took him by the hand. Which meant he must have been a young boy, as you wouldn't normally take an adult by the hand in that way. In any case, God's faithfulness towards Paul is once again displayed here. As Paul's nephew was quite possibly in the right place at the right time by God's own providence. I don't believe in coincidences when it comes to things like these. And I also find it interesting that the Lord also used a child to bring about his plans here. 
See, I find portions of Scripture like this very encouraging as it reminds me that the Lord works through everything and everyone to bring about His purposes in our lives. Sometimes He'll send friends, a neighbor, or a stranger, and He places His information in our path in a variety of ways. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. And He wrote a letter with the following content. Claudius Lysias, this is the commander, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him. After learning that he was a Roman and wanting to ascertain the basis for the charges they were bringing against him, I brought him down to their council. And I found that he was being accused regarding questions in their law, but was not charged with anything deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. To explain Paul's arrival, Claudius, the commander, writes a letter to Felix. The letter defends Paul and explains his transfer as a protective act. Remember, Paul was a citizen of Rome, which meant that the state was obligated to protect him from the Jews. The Roman captain also says that Paul's accusers would travel to Caesarea to make their case against Paul. Verse 31. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But on the next day, they let the horsemen go on with him, and they returned to the barracks. When these horsemen had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. Now when he had read it, he also asked from what province Paul was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive as well, giving orders for Paul to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. That brings us to the end of chapter 23. In the next chapter, we'll see that the trial begins with the high priest himself acting as Paul's accuser. And after this trial, a two-year period of imprisonment begins in Caesarea. So we've read and learned all this about Paul. But how does this apply to our lives today? Well, if there's one thing I came away with from the text, it's this. And I'd consider it my main point. It says, The Lord encourages those who serve Him in their difficult circumstances and trials. That was my main point for today. In the midst of everything we've been singing about, we've been praying about, I don't find that a coincidence. This is what I'd like for us to walk away with from today's teaching. The Lord encourages those who serve Him in their difficult circumstances and trials. For Paul... This had to have been one of his darkest moments in his life. The Apostle Paul had a lifelong ambition to preach the gospel. And in today's passage, all of that ended in chaos. He didn't succeed in, any, in making any converts. To the contrary, he angered 40 of them and they wanted to kill him. The future was very uncertain. And he's discouraged. He didn't know... He'd eventually go to Rome, 
But the Lord stood beside Paul, cheered him on, and was faithful to Paul in the midst of his circumstances. I want to also note that the Lord didn't need to send a team of angels to find where Paul was. He didn't need to speak with the prison guards. That didn't hinder the Lord from finding Paul. He knew exactly where he was and what he needed at that moment, even though Paul didn't know it yet. And here's my encouragement for you today. I know we're all facing hard circumstances and difficult trials. You may be in a prison of difficult circumstances, a physical illness, a financial crisis, the heartache of a loved one who has no place for God in their life, and you feel like no one knows what you're going through. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever they may be, and even if no other human being knows, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And He cares for you. I'm reminded of what Jesus said after giving the charge of the Great Commission. Here's His promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As His witnesses, He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. Or as Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 promises, For He Himself said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall a man do to me? Friends, if you're discouraged about your present difficult circumstances, or feeling down about past mistakes you've made, or anxious about the future, The Lord wants you to take courage this morning. He is with you in your trials. He is with you in your present circumstances. Continue to walk with Him. And as the Lord encourages you, seek to be His channel of encouragement to others around you. Because by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Second Peter 1, verses 3, and the first part of verse 4. A few minutes ago, I mentioned that as the Lord encourages you, seek to be his channel of encouragement to others. And that's exactly what we're about to do this morning. We're going to end service a little bit different today. And if you're visiting with us, I know you're like, what's happening? But I promise you, it's going to be good as there is power in prayer. So I want us to gather this morning in groups of four 
or five. But those right around you. And I want you to take some time this morning to pray for each other. Pray for each other in the trials and circumstances we're walking through. And I want us to take this moment very seriously. The band will be playing here in a bit while you do this. Again, this might be a good time to mention a prayer request, a circumstance, or a trial. Or it might be a good time to just allow yourself to be prayed for. Again, they'll, play, they'll start playing here in a bit, and Pastor Steve will come and close us out after. But I want you to start doing that now. Right where you're at. Stand, if you would stand with me. I'll pray for you before you guys start doing this. Because I know that's daunting. But I mentioned earlier, I don't take this as a coincidence that there's been this theme almost in the music we've sang this morning, the prayers we've prayed this morning, and the things that have been said, that the Lord is there with you in your circumstance. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. And I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that in the midst of our trials, you're there with us. In the midst of our circumstances, you're there with us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you're leading us, you're comforting us. When we feel like no other human being knows what I'm walking through. When we've not told no other human being. Jesus, you know. Remind us this morning of the Father who is close to the broken hearted God. Would you bind up our wounds, Father? We don't see the future, God. We're probably not even seeing it at all. Like, how do I get out of this one? How do I make it out of this one? God, as we go into this song, remind us that from the rising sun to the setting sea, you are faithful. That your promises, they are true. That you are a firm foundation. That we can stand on. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.